On the show today, the president signs an executive order regarding government use of artificial intelligence. Hackers are targeting the COVID-19 vaccine supply chain. Twitter users are complaining that they're being overwhelmed by promoted tweets. Our scam of the day is one that surfaces in some form every December. And today's tip shows you how you can remove yourself from people's search sites. All of that and more is coming up on the December 14th, 2020 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal Podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have four stories on the newsbeat for you today. We begin at the White House, where President Trump signed an executive order last week setting guidelines for government use of artificial intelligence. The order established nine principles that cover the development, acquisition, and design of AI. The White House said the order was intended to foster public trust and confidence in the use of AI and to ensure that its use protects privacy, civil rights, and civil liberties. While many organizations already use AI to process the vast amounts of data they collect, some states and cities have expressed concern over the way it has been implemented by the government. As of the time of this recording, I haven't had the opportunity to review the exact principles laid out in this order, but I do commend the White House for attempting to proactively address the ethical issues surrounding the use of AI. Artificial intelligence has the potential to be highly useful, but it also has the potential to be highly invasive. The ethical issues surrounding its use need to be addressed, and implementing rules for government use is a good first step. As distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine is beginning, a phishing campaign has begun targeting organizations around the globe that are associated with the distribution process. IBM security analysts have identified six regions around the world where attackers are targeting executives associated with the cold chain, the phase of distribution that requires extremely low temperatures for storage. The analysts believe the attackers are looking to harvest credentials for future use, possibly to gain access to the networks for disruption in the future. While it's unclear who is behind this phishing campaign, experts believe it is most likely a nation-state or an affiliated group, rather than a private organization. In social media news, a number of Twitter users have taken to the site to complain about what they believe is an excessive number of promoted tweets appearing in their timelines. Users report that they are now seeing promoted tweets once in every four to six tweets, 
with some indicating they are even seeing multiple advertisements in a row. Most people believed this was a bug in Twitter's advertising system, but Twitter later released a statement indicating this was actually an intentional decision due to a surplus of advertising inventory. However, as evidenced by the number of users tweeting about the issue, it does not appear that this change has made the majority of its users happy. And in some holiday news, SpecOps Software has released a list of the most common Christmas-related passwords found in data breaches. Topping the list is the word star, followed by angel, god, elf, and Jesus. The company did not release the number of times each word was found in a password, but it did note that the difference between the most used password, star, and the 15th password on the list, jolly, was only 46 instances. And now we move on to our scam of the day. Today's scam is one that pops up almost every December, at least in some form. This year, the one that came across my feed involved bourbon. It read, Holiday Bourbon Exchange. Everyone is welcome. Hey, bourbon drinking friends, which is most of you. Let's create some positivity leading up to the holidays. Anyone interested in a holiday bourbon bottle exchange? I know it is early, but I think we could all use some bourbon and fun. Who doesn't need a distraction from 2020? It doesn't matter where you live, you are welcome to join. You only have to buy one bottle of bourbon valued at $45 or more and send it to one secret bourbon lover. Afterwards, you will receive anywhere from 6 to 36 bourbon bottles in return. It all depends on how many bourbon drinkers join. Let me know if you are interested and I will send you the information. Please don't ask to participate if you're not going to follow through with sending one bourbon bottle. We'll have lots of sad bourbon drinkers if that's the case. Tis the season. Comment below if you're in, and I'll send you the details via Facebook Messenger. If they are confusing at all, please let me know. I think we can all use a little fun during this crazy time. It's literally just one bottle. You can order online and have it delivered directly to save on time effort, which is what I did. I can't wait to see what comes our way. Now let's take a second and do the math on this one. If you have 30 people that join in, and each person is expected to contribute one bottle, that means there are 30 bottles to go around. But each person is now expecting to receive somewhere between 6 and 36 bottles, which means that at a minimum, there will be a need for 180 bottles to be sent. Where are those extra 150 bottles going to come from? This is essentially a bourbon-based Ponzi scheme. Those who get in early might reap some rewards, but those who jump in later are going to get nothing. However, besides the math not working out, there are also some bigger problems with this. If you do participate, you could be breaking several laws. First, schemes like this are illegal on their own. Second, it's illegal to ship alcohol using the post office. 
and there are very strict rules for sending it through FedEx or UPS. And third, if you're sending it to someone that you don't know, you can't confirm they are over the legal drinking age. If you're found to be shipping alcohol to a minor, you could face very strong penalties. I've seen this in the past not only for bourbon, but also for wine and as a general secret sister gift exchange. Regardless of the details, it is a scam, so don't fall for it. If you encounter a scam you think we'd like to talk about on the show, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it's time for our cybersecurity pop quiz. Each episode, I'll ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is multiple answer, which means that any combination of these answers could be correct. The question is, which of these steps do you need to take to secure your home router? A, change the administrator password so it's not the default. B, disable wireless configuration of your router unless you don't have a device that can use a wired connection. C, use the more secure WEP encryption instead of WPA or WPA2. D, turn on Wi-Fi protected setup. Or E, turn on the guest network and have others connect to that if your router has that option. The answer will be revealed in next week's episode, but if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you can be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 2 in February. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next episode is released at 8 a.m. on Monday, December 21st. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules. Last week's question was, which of these are good steps to take to protect your credit cards in case you lose your wallet? A. Know whether your bank has the ability to turn off your card temporarily. B. Write down your credit card number and store it under your keyboard at work. C. Save the contact number for each card in your phone. D. Store your card number in a secure place where it is still easily accessible, such as in your password manager. Or E. Keep your social security card in your wallet along with your credit cards. The correct answers are A, C, and D. You should pay attention to whether or not your bank offers the ability to temporarily shut off your card. This is often done through online banking. That can be invaluable if you can't locate your card, but you're pretty sure that you still have it. You probably don't want to cancel the card permanently, but you do want to make sure it can't be used if it's in someone else's hands. You also want to have the contact phone numbers for your cards saved in your phone. 
That will make it easier to make sure you can quickly cancel your card if you do lose it. And you do want to have your card numbers saved in a place where they're accessible, but still secure. A password manager is a good place. It's secure, but it can still be quickly called up on your phone or from another computer if necessary. You do not want to have your credit card number stored under your keyboard at work. In fact, you probably shouldn't have them written down anywhere unless it's in a secure place under a lock. And you also shouldn't keep your social security card in your wallet. That number is highly useful to criminals, so you don't want it to fall in the wrong hands. If you do have a reason to have your social security card with you that day, it's fine to store it in your wallet so it's safe for that day. Just make sure that you take it out and put it in a more secure place as soon as possible. The internet has given rise to data brokers. Companies that scour the internet and public records to collect as much data about you as they can. However, you don't have to let this data collection go unrestrained. You can tell these sites to remove you. We'll have more information on how you can do this when we come back from this short break. If you have a cybersecurity question you'd like to know the answer to, you don't have to wait for an episode about it. We want to hear from you, whether it's a question you have or a comment you want to leave us about the show. You can reach us by email at info at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com or you can leave a voicemail at 859-968-9399, option 2. We'd love to hear your feedback or your questions, and we will definitely consider them when we discuss future topics or changes to the show. Plus, if we select a topic based on your message, we'll be sure to recognize you in that episode. Once again, that's info at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com or 859-968-9399, option 2. Have you ever tried a search of your name online? You might be surprised by what comes up. Fortunately for me, when I search for my name, the first results are for a professional golfer that is also named Jim Herman. However, if you search long enough, you're likely to come across results that are actually about you. If you share a name with someone at least semi-famous, like I do with a professional golfer, any results about you may end up buried on page 5 or 6. But if you have a unique name or you happen to be the one who is famous, you could easily end up at the top of search results. In some cases, those search results might be great news for you. For example, if I didn't share a name with a professional golfer, someone might be impressed if they searched for me and found out that I'm a podcast host. However, other search results could be negative. Perhaps there was a news story written about you that was negative, or maybe the story was about someone else with your name,
but it's going to be associated with you when someone searches. It's also possible that your name could come up on some of these people search sites. These sites collect public information about you and aggregate it for people to find. Some of this information is relatively benign, such as lists of your relatives, but other information they collect might be sensitive or even misleading. One person who did a search for himself wrote online about seeing that there were criminal records for him. Wanting to know what this site had to say, he signed up for a trial only to find out that the supposed criminal record was an illegal U-turn he had made years earlier. However, if he was applying for a job and the person searched his name and saw his supposed criminal record, it might give a negative impression before he even had the opportunity to interview. Now, to be clear, most of these sites are not legal to use for background checks for employment, so the site's claim that you have a criminal record cannot be used as a reason to deny you employment. However, if that information is turned up on a search, the negative impression it could leave could sour the person on your application. And while some legal experts advise against it, there is no law against searching the web for information about a job applicant. So if you find sensitive information about yourself and want it removed, how can you go about accomplishing it? Unfortunately, most sites don't make it easy, but every legitimate site does make it possible. I searched through many of the most common sites to help show you how you can get yourself removed. I'll be reading the names of the links here, but I will also make all of the links available on the show notes page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash episode 41. First, let's discuss the sites that make it easy to remove yourself. The easiest one I found was a site called Instant Checkmate. All I had to do was visit instantcheckmate.com slash opt hyphen out, search for my name, and click on the button to remove my records. I was asked to provide an email address for confirmation, but that's it. Spokio was another site that made it easy. In this case, after visiting www.spokio.com slash opt-out, no hyphen in this case, all I had to do was copy the URL of the page that had my information, and they said that they would remove it. I couldn't complete the process on the site PeakU because they didn't have any records on me. However, it did advertise records about me that were found on other sites. However, it appears the site will give you an opt-out link at the top of the page with your results. Based on what I could find out online, there weren't any additional steps I needed to follow after completing that request. One company had an online form to begin the process, but it added an additional step requiring that you send in a copy of your driver's license to verify your identity. This company was Intellis, which runs multiple websites such as Classmates, People Lookup, Public Records, and Zaba Search. Fortunately, they do make the process easier because they all share a single opt-out form. You can find it by visiting intellis.com opt out. 
You'll be asked if you've been a customer, and then you'll once again search for records. You can select your information to opt out of it. Once you've completed the request, you'll be emailed instructions for sending in a copy of your driver's license in order to complete the removal process. And finally, I found two sites that have a more complex process. My Life was one of these sites. You can visit mylife.com contact hyphen us to get the phone number or mailing address to begin the process. Unfortunately, there's no form online. My recommendation would be that you call and then send a follow-up letter. A call will allow the person to explain the process to you and let you know what steps you need to complete, but then a letter will provide written documentation that you made the request. The site White Pages offers a somewhat complex process. I had to enter the URL into their form, which would have been easier if they had actually allowed the URL to reach the address bar. Unfortunately, every time I tried to click on my listing, I was taken to their sales page instead of a page with my information. I was finally able to identify the page by right-clicking on my search result in the list and then using the Copy Link Address feature to paste it into the form. Then I had to enter a phone number for them to call. I received the call and was prompted to enter the verification code that was provided on the screen. Once that was complete, I was then able to return to my browser and complete the process. To be clear, this process wasn't too difficult, and it guided me through every step, but it did feel convoluted compared to the simple processes on many other sites. And as a final note, once you've submitted your requests, make sure that you follow up to ensure that your information was actually removed. Check to see if they give a time frame for the removal process. Some said 24 to 48 hours, some had a little bit longer time. I would recommend giving them about a week to complete the process before following up. That's all for today. Thanks for listening, and have fun removing your information from these sites. On next week's show, we will discuss another element of privacy, location tracking. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.